Uh, we are in the book of Mark. We are preaching through this in a year. We are in chapter 15 currently. Um, what we've read of the sufferings of Christ up till now and those, those, those other chapters were um, a simple introduction to what's about to follow. See, in this chapter, he's condemned by the chief priests. They could show their teeth in this, but they couldn't bite. They were restricted by law. But in this chapter, this thing is so full, there's, there's 50 sermons just in, in, in this one chapter 15. Um, Christ is arraigned and accused before Pilate, the Roman governor. He's cried out against by the common people at the instigation of their own priests. He's condemned. He's crucified immediately. He's bantered and abused, a, a mocking by the Roman soldiers. He's led out to the place of execution with all public shame and disgrace. He's nailed to a cross between two thieves. He's reviled. He's abused by all that passed by. He's forsaken for a time by his father. Dying and rendering the veil, attested and witnessed by centurions and others, he's buried in a tomb. And that's a lot in one chapter. I have to tell you, this, this one was tough. Where to go with this? There, there are so many places you can take this. Um, I'm going to do the, sh- the shotgun effect. We're going to cover all of it a little bit. How is that? Um, so here we go. We just left off with Peter's denial of Jesus. Mark takes us right to Pilate. With this, first parag- with, with this paragraph, Mark turns to the political phase of the trial. I know, more politics, right? You guys thought we were done, but no, we were right in the heart of politics with, with this one. Um, his brief, simple account omits a lot of detail that the other Gospels ha- had. Um, I'm going to include all the Gospels in this one, parts from each one. Uh, it's very important. The trial starts with the taking of Jesus from the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, Jesus' first appearance before the Jewish council, which had convened at daybreak. Um, from there, they went to Pilate, the Roman emperor, the governor, back to Herod, uh, who was visiting Jerusalem, and then back to Pilate, who in desperation sentenced Jesus to death. Let's, let's dig a little deeper, huh? I'll read Mark 15, verses 1 through 20. That will be what we will be looking at today. Uh, open your Bibles, open your iPhones, your iPads, your Samsung. See, I have nothing on the screen, and I have nothing in your bulletins on purpose. Um, I want you to open that book. I want you to look at it. I want you to hold it. I want you to hold your phone. That, that's okay, as long as we're not on Facebook. And I will check later. I can see when you last logged on. <laughs> Early in the morning, the chief priests and the elders and the scribes and the whole council immediately held a consultation. And binding Jesus, they led him away and delivered him to Pilate. Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered, It is as you say. The chief priests began to accuse him harshly. Then Pilate questioned him again, saying, Do you not answer? See how many charges they bring against you? But Jesus made no further answer. So Pilate was amazed. Now, at the feast, he used to release for one, um, for them any one prisoner whom they requested. The man named Barabbas had been in prison with the insurrectionists and who had committed murder with the insurrection. The crowd went up. And began asking him to do as he had been accustomed to do for them. Pilate asked them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he was aware the chief priest had handed him over because of envy. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd and asked him to release Barabbas instead. Answering again, Pilate, asking again, Pilate said to them, Then, what shall I 
do with him who you call the king of the Jews? And they shouted back, crucify him. But Pilate said to them, what evil has he done? But they shouted even more, crucify him. Wishing to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas for them. And after having Jesus scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. Verse 16, the soldiers took him away to the, pl- to the palace, that is, praetorium, and they called the whole Roman cohort. They dressed him up in purple, and after twisting a crown of thorns, they put it on him, and he began to acclaim him, Hail, King of the Jews. They kept beating his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling and bowing before him. After they had mocked him, they took the purple robe off of him, and they put his own garments on him, and they led him off to be crucified. Wow. There's a lot there. I like to break it down kind of verse by verse, couple of verses, and, and, and we'll, we'll go about it that way. Early in the morning, chief priests and the elders and the scribes and the whole council immediately had a consultation, and binding Jesus, they led him away and delivered him to Pilate. So, first thing in the morning, we're all together. See, they had been together that night um, when the priests had, had gathered up their, 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 their ammo. They wanted to get him, okay? Um, they can't do this at night. They can't do this without going to Pilate and getting his permission. So first thing in the morning, they get up right away. 5 o'clock, 5 a.m., they are, they are ready to... And I believe if they had a sticker on the back of their chariots, it would have said, let's get her done. We need to go. Let's, let's go. Let's. Um, this was everybody. This was the chief priests, the elders, the scribes, the whole council. Um, the other part of John's gospel of this says that they went up to the palace, but they wouldn't enter it. They stood outside to talk to Pilate. Because if they entered it, they would be entering the house of a Gentile and they would be defiled for the Passover. Catch this. They kept their ceremonial requirements of their religion while harboring murder and treachery in their heart. Get that? They're harboring murder and treachery, but they're more worried about making sure that they can take part of their religious practices. Luke 22 66 through 71 kind of tells us how we got here. See, it was at daybreak, and the council of elders of the people, both the chief priests and the teachers of law, all met together, and Jesus was before them. If you are the Messiah, they say, tell us. Jesus answered, If I tell you, you wouldn't believe me. And if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. They all ask, Are you the Son of God? He replied, yes, I am. See, it was those two little words from the Old Testament. I am. Jesus proclaimed to be God in that statement. The high priest recognizes Jesus' claim and accused him of blasphemy. There's the first accusation. Keep, Keep that one in the back of your mind. They accused him of blasphemy at this point. The sin of claiming to be God was punishable by death, and they had the evidence but they couldn't do it. They bound Jesus, it says in there, to take him to Pilate. So that made me think, he's bound in the garden, but he's unbound, but now he's bound again. 
Why did they bind him the second time? Why did Mark put this in there? I think this is important because have you ever noticed the robber, the criminal, the thief, the, this horrible man that we see on the news, and he is bearded and shaggy and dirty and has these raggedy clothes on. But you know what he does? Trial. suit on. He doesn't look like that criminal. He looks like something presentable. We have the exact opposite thing taking place here with Jesus. See, they want him to look like a criminal. They want him to look scary. They want Pilate to think that this is a man that deserves death. Mark's first mention of Pilate is in this, this, this first verse here. Um, Mark doesn't go on to explain anything about Pilate. Mark's writing this letter to the Christians in Rome. They would have already known who Pilate was. He didn't need to explain. As we look at Mark's gospel, it's kind of like that. He expects, because of the audience he's writing to, that they would know certain facts, certain things. So who was Pilate? Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor of the province of Judea, where Jerusalem was located. You see, any death sentence had to be approved by a Roman official in charge of that administrative district. Um, when the Jewish leaders had Jesus in their power, they wanted to kill him. They had to have Pilate's permission. Pilate's relationship with the Jews had always been, been stormy. His Roman toughness and fairness had been weaned by cynicism, compromises, mistakes. On several occasions, his actions had deeply offended the religious leaders, resulting in riots and chaos. This must have made Pilate wonder, what did I get myself into this time? He was trying to control people who treated their Roman conquerors without any respect. Jesus' trial was just another example of Pilate's ongoing problem. See, Pilate seemed to take pleasure in harassing Jews. In one example, he stole temple treasury money, the offerings. He stole the offering to put an aqueduct into his palace so he could have running water. He insulted the Jewish religion by bringing imperial images into the city. See, Pilate knew well, all too well that this could backfire. If the people were to lodge a formal complaint against his administration, take it to Rome, he could be removed. Pilate was already starting to feel this insecurity in his position when the Jewish leaders brought Jesus to him. Would he continue to badger the Jews and risk political failure? Would he give in to the demands to condemn a man that he was sure was innocent? Verse 2, 3, 4, and 5. Pilate questions, asking, Are you the king of the Jews? He answered them and said, It is as you say. The chief priest began to accuse him harshly. Then Pilate questioned him again, saying, Do you not answer? See how many charges they brought up against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so Pilate was amazed. Mark's abbreviated account at once goes to the heart of the charges made um, against Jesus by the chief priests. From John's Gospel, it's clear that we can see that when the hierarchy first handed Jesus over, they had hoped that he would simply convict him. This man was guilty, convict him, over. Didn't work out that way. When Pilate insisted upon hearing the case of the sorrow himself, three charges were lodged against Jesus, encouraging the people not to pay taxes, claiming he was a king, and causing riots all over the countryside. Charges were this, basically. Tax evasion, treason, and terrorism. 
See, there's only one of those that Pilate took seriously, that Jesus claimed to be a king. This charge reveals the crafty Jewish leaders had turned Jesus' acknowledgement that he was a Messiah into a political claim. His royal pretension to the throne of Israel merited death because it was treason against Caesar, the one unpardonable sin for Rome. The charge of blasphemy had been turned into treason. Are you the king of the Jews? All four Gospels have this identical question. The you is emphatic and carries obvious tone of disdain or surprise. It appeared ridiculous to Pilate, this disheveled prisoner before him, could claim to be the king of the Jews. Jesus' response was, it is as you say. Or the King James Version, thou sayest it. Jesus' answer has been differently understood through commentaries. Um, the words could be taken as denial, noncommittal, or as a firm acknowledgement. Now we know denial is inconsistent with all the facts. And if it's understood in the Hebrew, uh, it was as an idiom. Um, it was a way of affirming the contents of a question. Um, idiom, is it raining out? It's raining cats and dogs. It's but in the Greek, we can take this as a qualified yes, but his response is emphatic but may have a different meaning. It's like saying yes, but not with the meaning that you have. See, it goes back to the fact he couldn't deny that he was the king, not in a political sense, as Pilate thought. John's gospel goes in a little deeper. Pilate First, uh, John 18, verse 33 through 37, Pilate went to back inside the palace and summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own ideal, Jesus asked? Or did others tell you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it that you've done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, yes. You say that I'm a king. In fact, that was the reason I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. Everybody on the side of truth listens to me. Convinced that Jesus was no longer a threat to the Roman government, Pilate brought Jesus out and announced that he found no crime in him. Jesus is innocent. It's done. Pilate has heard the case. At that point, verse 3 and 4, the chief priest began to accuse him harshly. And then Pilate questioned him again, saying, Do you not answer? See how many charges they brought up against you. See, I think when Jesus was presented as not guilty, the crowd got infuriated and said, All these other accusations. Did you know that he spit once? Did you know that he did? Did you know that, hey, he, they wanted to make sure. This torrent of accusations subsided, and Jesus remained silent. Since Pilate had just announced that Jesus was innocent, Jesus calmly refused to dignify their false charges by replying to him. But his failure to reply was incomprehensible to Pilate. He had to ask again. See how many charges they bring up against you? Implied that Jesus could not afford to allow these charges to go unanswered. But the Roman governor didn't understand this. See, it was the character of Jesus that made it morally impossible for him to stoop to the level of self-defense in face of such slanderous 
even though his silence places life in jeopardy. Did you catch that? The character of Jesus made it morally impossible for him to stoop to that level to defend himself, even though his life's in danger. Verse 5, but Jesus made no further answer, so Pilate was amazed. In the King James, it says that Jesus no more answered anything. Okay, that's how I talk. Jesus no more answered anything. See, it's Mark's use of a double negative here that marks the absolute silence of Jesus. He said nothing. Having previously revealed to Pilate his character and his position, Jesus refused to give any further reply to the false charges, but let the facts of his life speak in refutation. Wow. This is where I want to be. When those false charges are brought up against me, I don't want to pick up my and defend myself. I want my life to be an answer to refute those charges. How about you? The silence of Jesus impressed Pilate with the fact that he's no ordinary person. It was an amazing spectacle. Since Pilate expected the usual verbal protest of innocence, he marveled and continued to feel wonder and astonishment at the refusal of Jesus to bring any pressure to bear on the governor on his own behalf. He recognized it was a difficult thing to do and somehow admired Jesus for it. it did not lead Pilate, lead Pilate to conclude that Jesus was guilty. Luke's version now takes us on a little different trip here. Um, once Pilate learns that Jesus is from Galilee, well, Nero's over there. I think I'm going to send him on. I found a way out of this. I am going to send him over to Nero, and I'll be done with him. Nero, take care of him. Except when he gets, Jesus gets to Nero, refuses to do any miracles, and um, Nero says, yeah, you're going back. So, Pilate gets Jesus back. Verse 6 and 7. Now, at the feast, he used to release for them any one prisoner whom they requested. The man named Barabbas had been in prison with the insurrectionists and had committed murder in the insurrection. So, at this feast, the feast of Passover, remember, Mark knows his audience. He doesn't say this was the Passover. He says this was the feast. Um, it was a custom that the crowd would request to have one prisoner, usually a political prisoner, usually not a, a horrible, dangerous person, to have them release. And um, the Roman government would, would do this, would, they would release that. Um, Mark tells us Barabbas was chosen. Really? Barabbas? This man had been convicted. He was a zealot. He was one of the most fierce, uncompromising patriots, fanatical against Rome. In fact, it, this contributed to the outbreak of a war that led to the ultimate destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. He had been apprehended, charged, sentenced, and was now awaiting execution. This is who the crowd wanted released. Verse 8, the crowd went up and began to ask him to do as he had been accustomed to do for them. Nine, Pilate answered them, saying, Don't you want me to release the king of the Jews? We have to look at this term crowd. So Mark distinguishes the, the crowd from the, the, the common people from the Sanhedrin. Okay, um, They had gathered before. Um, so who's this crowd? 
is this a group of people who want to get Barabbas released? No, not at all. So is this the group that followed Jesus on Palm Sunday? No. Are some of them there? Probably. This is just a crowd of common people. Us. I believe who's who Mark is referring to here. Mark's words stressed that the common people took the initiative and the urging of Pilate to observe this custom. One commentary suggests the crown seems to have been animated by the desire of claiming a right rather than any special goodwill towards Jesus. And I wonder, do we ever sacrifice our relationship with Jesus to claim what we believe we're entitled to? Wow. I think Ken refers to that as autonomy. I shall be my own God. Pilate offers Jesus and Barabbas for them to choose. In doing so, he's trying to stack the deck to the outcome. He has Jesus, their king, and Barabbas, a murderer and evil, evil man. Pilate thinks he's got him here. But for Pilate to put Jesus on the same level was... I'm flabbergasted. There was no trial. See, Barabbas had been convicted. Jesus hadn't even been formally charged. Pilate puts them both up there. He's stacking the deck. See, this, this charge of king of the Jews seems absurd to Pilate. But if this was the king that they wanted, he'd surely give it to them. Verse 10. For he was aware that the chief priests had handed him over because of envy. 11. That, but the chief priest stirred up the crowd and asked him to release Barabbas instead. Mark introduces the explanation of the charge um, of the chief priest that it didn't deceive Pilate. He recognized the chief priest's animosity and jealousy all stemmed from envy See, Jesus was too influential with the common people. So Pilate jumped at the opportunity to pit the interests of the common people against the Jewish leaders. See, again, he's trying to defer this off of him. He wants the Jewish people and the common and the Jewish leaders to start arguing. This was a very short interval between the point which he offered up Jesus and Barabbas and to the point at which Jesus was the man chosen. See, we have to go over to Matthew to find out why this was. And in Matthew 27, verse 19, while Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him a message. Do not have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. The reason it went so fast? Pilate got the message from Mama that she did not have a good night's sleep. He is going to get done what needs to get done now. Matthew also notes that the elders joined the chief priests in using their influence to determine the vote. What arguments they used, it's really not in indicated, but the people were psychologically prepared to respond to them. The crowd was stirred up. So the chief priests and the elders, they go out there, and they're stirring the pot. And it was this stirred-up crowd. Um, we could turn the TV on pretty much any night and see what a stirred-up crowd really looks like. You imagine the size of this crowd? There was 600 
Roman soldiers there by themselves. That he should rather release Barabbas, the stated goal of the priestly efforts, rather underlines that Barabbas was preferable to Jesus. The people were receptive because it was a deep, deep shock to them to see the one that they had expected to overthrow the Romans, establish a messianic kingdom, standing before the Roman governor as a helpless prisoner. This was not their, their true Messiah. They felt he would not endure such indignities. If he was a, such a helpless king of the Jews, they wanted nothing to do with him. Barabbas had at least tried to do what they believed Jesus should do. Disappointed in his failure to act as they had anticipated, they turned fiercely against him. And I wondered to myself at that point, I pondered this question. When I'm disappointed in how Jesus acts the way I want him to act, do I turn against him? Do I hold on to anything when he doesn't do what I want him to do? They did. Verse 12, answering again, Pilate says to them, Then what shall I do with him who you call the king of the Jews? And they shouted back, Crucify him. Pilate tries again, further effort following his disappointment with the vote. Um, he next tests the popular feeling, how the crowd feels personally towards Jesus. He then inquires as to their wish concerning Jesus. Since he asked for Barabbas to be released, his question implies that he was willing to release Jesus if that was their wish. Crucify him. See, the crowd is infuriated by Pilate's use of that term, king of the Jews. They are mad now. Every time Pilate calls him their king, that, ele- that crowd elevates to another level. And they respond with, crucify him. But it's your king. Crucify him. Verse 14, but Pilate said to them, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. Wishing to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas for them. And after having Jesus scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. Pilate asked the question to try to negotiate their surprising demand. He recognized the unjustness and the demand, and sought to reason with the very excited crowd. He invited them to produce evidence of any evil or unjust. They cried out exceedingly. The only answer of the crowd was a louder and fiercer demand for the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. They knew the power and pressure through clamoring and shouting. Wow. I witnessed some of that just recently on the TV. The power of a crowd clamoring and shouting. Pilate was no longer um, concerned simply with the dispensement of justice. At this point, he's got his own own motivations. Um, he now has to take care of this, or his fear is he gets in trouble with the emperor again. See, this wouldn't have been his first case. So he has Brabus's feathers removed, and releases him and hands him over, hands Jesus over to the Roman centurion for crucifixion. See, it was that scourge part that 
really touched me and broke me. Um, Mark doesn't go into an explanation about it. None of the other Gospels really talk about it. But this is what it was. You were stripped publicly. You were bent over a whipping post. And you were whipped with this short-handled whip, leather thongs, and cutting devices into them. Um, They could whip you as many times. The 40 minus 1. Roman law said they could whip you as many times as they wanted. What Pilate was hoping at this point was, is this brutal display of punishment would turn this crowd. They would be happy with the punishment and not crucify Jesus. God reminded me, as Jesus took these whippings, he never once made a comment, never once spoke out. But he took one of those lashes for me. One of them whips across his back was for Scott, knowing that one day he would lift Scott out of the mire and he would place him at a point to preach his holy word. One of those, one of, one of those whips was for you and you and you. Somber. Verse 16, the soldiers took him away to the place, or to the palace that is Praetorium, and they called together the whole Roman cohort. They dressed him up in purple, and after twisting a crown of thorns, they put it in him, and they began to claim him, Hail, King of the Jews. They kept beating his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling and bowing before him. After they mocked him, they took off the purple robe and they put his own garments on him and they led him off to be crucified. Mark's account of the mockery by the soldiers is vivid and detailed. Luke reaccounted the mockery before Herod and didn't refer to it. Matthew is a close parallel. According to John's account, the mockery was in connection with the scourging, which was unique. Usually the scourging took place. There wasn't a bunch of guys mocking you as you got whipped. The Roman cohort, some 600 men, participated in this mockery, this coronation of the king of the Jews as they dress him in purple garments to signify royalty. This crown of thorns is smashed into his skull. They put a reed in his hand as his scepter, most likely put him up onto a little stool as his royal throne. They gave homage to the king mingled with brutal insults. seems obvious that the mockery wasn't motivated by their animosity against Jesus. It was his claim to be a king. These hardened soldiers loved the king. They would not put up with anybody else claiming to be a king. But see, it was the silence of Jesus during their wanton insults that was very remarkable. It deeply impressed the early believers. It deeply impressed the early believers. See, it was those words that turned where I was going to talk to you about the crowd. And are you the one in the crowd hollering crucify? Or are you the one in the crowd hollering Jesus? Not where God wanted me to go. He put me on this. That this, Jesus not saying anything, affected the early believers. If it affected the early believers, I believe it has to affect us. See, we go back to 1 Peter 2, 13 through 25. Stay with me. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right 
you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free man and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God and honor the king. Which king is he talking about? He's talking about Nero, an evil, evil king who lit Christians on fire to use them as lamps. We are told here to honor the king. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but to those who are unreasonable. Not just those who are good, but those who are unreasonable. This finds, for this finds favor. If it is for the sake of consciousness towards God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if, when you sin and are harshly treated, that you endure it with patience? But if when you do good, but if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you're patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. See, Christ is our example. In verse 21, for you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but he kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on a cross so that we might die to sin and live in righteousness. For by his wounds we are healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. They witnessed what Jesus did in that trial, in that beating, these are the words that were panned out of that. See, it did affect them. It has to affect us. It's about submission. Submission is voluntary cooperating with anyone out of love and respect for God first, and secondly, out of love and respect for the person. Submitting to non-believers is difficult, but it's a vital part of leading them to Jesus Christ. We are not to called to submit to non-believers to the point that we are compromised with our relationship with God, but we must look for every opportunity to humbly serve the power of God's Spirit. As we look at what Jesus did from the garden to this point, I believe he did the will of the Father. Are you doing God's will? Do you know that you are? Christ didn't do this with his strength. There is no way he went through this with his strength. He relied on his father's strength. You relying on your father's strength or your strength? Because I am weak, I'll tell you that first. Thirdly, Christ honored authority. Period. You bow with me. Father, these are... Tough words. These are hard things that you ask of us to do. But Father, we know it is in your will, and we know that we can rely on your strength to get us through that. So Father, today we thank you for your word. We thank you for all who have come here. Father, if there's somebody out here that does not know you, would you allow them to draw to someone who does? Let them hear the good news of the cross. Father, you bless everyone here. May your mercy and grace continue to 
pour out on us daily. We thank you for everything, including your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.